Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 232. I am John Davis. Last time I looked, and joining me are senior executive producer Dave Scrivener. Hi. Over the edge reporter, Greg Carlos. I switched to straws this week. <laughs> Looking much more socially acceptable. And our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Hello. Hello, everybody. We got a lot to cover today. Some new, a lot of new vehicle intros in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we've got a lightning round, a viewer question, and we'll see if anyone's got a rant and rave. But Dave Scrivener, let's start off with you. Uh, coming in September is our 40th anniversary. And you are in just getting ready as we uh, do this podcast today to start the 40th anniversary Goss's Garage production. Can I you tell us a little bit what it's like? I'm in the garage as we speak here, John. We're setting up production starts in about five days for the, uh, the whole season's worth of Goss segments. We're trying to bang out 26 or 27 segments in nine days down here. We've revised the set entirely for the new season for our anniversary. We've got a, a new new assets to the set and new elements and TV screens and workbenches. And, but we're working under the COVID restrictions. We can only have five people in the room at one time. We're going to have a skeleton crew when we go into production. So we're kind of going a bit more plea planning than we had before, trying to get ready to wear more than one hat during this production. So, so you've only got five people in there, including Pat Goss and yourself. So you've really got – and then you've got three people, two basically. Two camera operators. Yeah. I have one assistant, two cameras, me and Pat. Makeup has to come and leave. They can't stay all day. It's just, it's just cumbersome. And you're wearing two big hats. Besides producer, you're also director this year? Yes, I'll be the director this year, of all things. Um, your directorial debut? I've done it before. <laughs> it's not my forte. So uh, I'm learning on the job as we go here. Uh, can you tell us, um, do you envision anything? Um, in other words, when people actually see the segments, is there anything different that they should look for? We're trying to get more um, hands-on stuff with Pat so he can uh, demonstrate things more rather than just talk about them. So I'll be, I'll be doing demonstrations and we'll be shooting that separately and trying to get more practical, you know, TV as a visual medium. We can show you how to do something. It's a little better for our viewers. So we're trying to do more of that this year. And I take it you won't be doing a lot of uh, in-studio interviews with special guests. No, we have, we're testing a remote interview setup, kind of like this Zoom thing here. Uh, to try and get some guests on the set remotely via monitor. Uh, big test of that, get the good audio video going. It's new to me, but we have smart engineers in the building who can help us figure it out. Wow, talk about uh, operating with one hand tied behind your back. Well, let's move on to uh, uh, some of the new vehicles that are out uh, because of the uh, COVID-19 restrictions. A lot of almost all the reveals, not almost all the reveals are happening virtually. They're, they are coming at a rapid pace. As a matter of fact, uh, I pointed out on uh, JD's uh, Motoring Week uh, that uh, I just went up 
that one of the newest reports from uh, analysts that look at the auto industry are now predicting over the next four years, there will be over 250 new model introductions, so more than 60 a year, about 50 for, the, uh, for this year alone. And uh, so they're coming out at a rapid pace. It's been two to three a week uh, for the last month or so. And so we're gonna talk about three of the newest and we'll start with the 2021 BMW 4 Series. Uh, just some basic details. Uh, the 430 has a two liter i4 turbo naturally. The M44, uh, M440i, a three liter i6, both basically you know, familiar BMW powertrains, arrives this fall around 50K. What else uh, ab about this car? This is what we used to call the three series coupe. Uh, is it more than just a, a three series without two doors? Well, I think we should address the massive kidney grills in the room. <laughs> that, that's the first thing everybody sees. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, there's been some designs where I say it's gonna take some getting used to. Yeah. But this one may be the longest time to get used to. I mean, my God, they're big. It looks, it looks like they want to they want to emulate a pickup truck in the front end, you know, like our, like we can't do Ram, but this is our answer to it. I mean, it's it's huge and it slants forward. Really it's, strange. It's definitely the most radical uh, evolution to the uh, to the kidney grills. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's longer, lower, wider, the same recipe for a lot of performance things within the three series I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. I think it shares the same wheelbase, um, but this is, you know, what should be the three series coupe. And when eventually an M4 will come, this is the one that most diehard enthusiasts will want to get the two door as opposed to a four door three series. Jessica, you did the first look uh, uh, on it. Um, want to add anything? I mean, um, I think maybe I have a different perspective considering I'm a little bit outside sort of like the legacy realm of you know no words you're um, too young yeah. <laughs> we get that well, you know there's I, I mean there's a lot of people you know around my age who who their go-to car would be a bmw from 20 years ago yeah um and who are still you know very interested in our retro reviews of course i try to watch our retro reviews as much as possible to get sort of the whole scope of the thing but um you know i, I originally i think i had a, a, a um a different opinion but it slowly grew on me and big grills are almost like not unusual anymore I mean we've seen them more often I mean Lexus I mean those grills are huge I mean we've seen the uh the grill on the um the Sienna that's coming out I mean mm -hmm. it's it's large and you know is it trying to get in like these huge grills before we don't actually need them anymore. Well, know? that's that's a very good point. That's it. The electric cars don't need those big grills. I mean, combustion engine needs them, but you know, a, a Tesla will it ever have a grill? No. Um, so uh, it grew on me, but I, I actually do like the styling. I like the profile of the car. I also really like the um, the the rear end of it. I think it's it's I want to say like more modern sort of going in the the same vein as like um you know a, a hyundai or a, a kia <laughs> but uh, but I, I think it's just the styling choices um so i just think it looks a little bit more modern i overall i i think i like it 
Dave, do you have any impression from uh, when you saw the material and the and the first drive? No, I I, I think it's I come to camp that it's a it's a three series coupe, just renamed. But I think it's sad that the the M3 has been the iconic name for being a good performance, but the the hot ticket is the M4 now. So they kind yeah. of why why might make the the four the four door? The best the best part <laughs> of all of that, the the best part of all is that this four series, which is the two door version of a three series, will eventually have four doors as a four door grand coupe. It's a four series grand coupe. So it literally hit every possible edge of the market. <laughs> yeah, isn't it interesting that the one thing we have not talked about is performance? Because we all expect that it will be excellent and basically on par with, uh, you know, any three or four series they've ever built before. It always seems to get better. So it doesn't seem to be any doubt. We've all been talking about the visuals and of course the interior is basically out of a three series but i just find that very fascinating it's going to be a very interesting car we haven't mentioned that all the reveals we're seeing and expect to see coming up soon will all be virtual reveals as well yeah we won't get in we won't be getting in them yeah uh, it's, here's my virtual opinion yeah that's that's really what we're doing where we're and i in a way that you know we can say well it might drive better, but we don't really know. And uh, it's, it's going to be, we're still road testing cars, don't get me wrong, but a lot of the new stuff that we would be going to some place for an actual drive, uh, that won't be happening uh, probably for the rest of this year. So we all have to wait till we actually get the car in here at Motor Week for real driving impressions. Let's move on to another big player in its own field and that is an all-new 2021 nissan rogue this is kind of uh, nissan's bread and butter they've gotten a lot of criticism a lot of criticizing for not rolling out a lot of new models uh two and a half liter i4 181 horsepower two or three things really stand out number one i think the look is very different it goes in that slab sided kind of um, Tahoe uh, expedition type uh, look. Uh, looks like it's got a little bit more glass. Uh, there's a new family hub, and I'll let somebody else talk to that, what that really means. A big digital instrument cluster coming this fall. This vehicle has got to be a success for Nissan. I mean, this is the first of their new models. They're way behind the curve. Uh, I was surprised, and actually I like the new one. I think, I think it looks very purposeful, but that's my opinion. Funny well, how when the Cherokee came out, uh, what, like 2014, 2015, the new Cherokee, everybody freaked out about the headlight design where you had the daytime runners up top mm -hmm. and you have your actual headlights and then you have fog lights below. Now, I mean, this the Rogue just follows suit with so right. many other cars doing the same exact thing. So, I, I mean... I mean, the Cherokee was technically ahead of its time, um, but I, I will say. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You forgot the Pontiac Aztec. Uh, the Aztec, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Fortunately, you forgot the Pontiac Aztec. Hey, man, it's making a comeback. But uh, I'll speak to the, the family hub, and uh, I sat in on an interview that Stephanie had with, um, with Nissan, and uh, basically they just want to make the Rogue even more family-friendly. I mean, they yeah. are taking aim at 
at smaller families because the Rogue is not that full-size SUV. And the family hub is really that area between the driver and passenger and up to the console. So what they did differently was instead of a traditional uh, console that opens up, this has the winged opening from the center to uh, ostensibly make reaching in for snacks or whatever easier to reach in and hand back to your child or whoever's in the back seat. So it's all about connectivity with wireless charging and ease of access. And that's what makes it a family hub. Jessica, anything? I mean, you can't go wrong with a five seater. I feel like they sell like hotcakes um, to a few different types of, you know, families or, uh, I mean, both of my parents who are sort of almost semi-retired and don't have kids living at home, both have five seaters. So, um, you know, I, I do like the, the new look um, a lot, actually. I, I really like the profile of the car. Um, and so I think maybe people who might have not liked the Nissan design before of some of their crossovers might take a second look um, at the Rogue specifically because of that. Because, I mean, some of the earlier generations, I even think, you know, the Murano um, and the Rogue, I didn't really enjoy the styling so much, but, you know, I think they've really sort of put it into, you know, um, a design that's kind of following suit with a lot of other people and what else is successful. I mean, RAV4s are so successful. Why not try and give a similar design? Well, I think Nissan needs to play it safe anyway. Their sales are slumping so much. Don't take any risks these days and try and build volume. But they're following a trend. And Mercedes, the new GLB, has the same look as the big GLE, that long-roofed uh, SUV. It's not a cute youth. People don't always want a cute youth for their family. They want something that looks like a grown-up's driving it. So I think the Rogue's a good look. It'll appeal to families who want a serious SUV that fits their size and budget. Yeah, I, I personally think they've got a winner there. You know it's going to be reliable, and now they've made it a much more practical uh, box, I think. Yeah. Speaking of uh, practicality or lack thereof, um, sorry to say, you know, that the uh, Ford uh, Mustang Bullet uh, will not be around for the 2021 model year, but lo and behold, Ford has something else. They launched this week the Ford Mustang Mach 1. 17 years since we've heard the Mach 1 name, 5-liter V8, of course, 480 horsepower, 420 pound-feet of torque, a lot of parts from the Shelby GT350, uh, six-speed manual, and a 10-speed automatic, which is something, the automatic was something the Bullet didn't have. Uh, spring 2021, why do the Mach 1? I mean, at this point, thank goodness, it's a Mustang that's not an electric one, so. <laughs> And this is more track-focused than uh, the typical Mustang V8. Uh, so I think for those who want the cutting-edge performance but still streetable, it's a great package. Yeah, it's um, you got to find that middle ground between full-on Shelby and you know a base five-liter. And uh, the Bullet was kind of that, even though not really. I mean, that was it was just a beefed-up five-liter. Whereas this, you can kind of look at as a toned-down Shelby. I right. think because I think that's right. 
it, I mean, it, it does take Shelby parts, um, but it still uses the five liter uh, naturally aspirated, which is a, I mean, that's a fun engine. I mean, it, it revs, uh, the platform itself, the Mustang platform's great, I think. And now when you just beef it up, it's going to be that much better on the track. So it's, it, it, I think it's going to serve its purpose and just find that perfect middle ground between, you know, everyday five liter and awesome track ready Shelby. Plus it's a Mach 1 and I mean, the Mach 1 name is just infamous or, you know, it's just a famous yeah. brand. No shaker hood, but we'll take it. Oh uh, yeah, well, whatever. You can go to you can go to uh, FCA for that. And get your shakers, <laughs> Jessica. You know, there's not very many coupes left. We've actually talked about two of them on uh, today's podcast. But does something like the Mustang appeal to your generation? Oh sure. Oh yeah. I mean, my my brother's first car was a Mustang uh, when he was. Uh, I don't know, 17. Hmm. He bought it in 2004. Um, hmm. So it definitely still a appeals. The price, <laughs> I think, oh, yeah. is what, you know, specifically like the Mach 1 will totally be out of the price range. Probably a 50 grand car easy. So. There's, yeah, there's no way. But I mean, the fact that there are so many different types of Mustangs, um, and then, you know, of course, you have your base models, which you know, is, is in a price range that people, uh, you know, of my age can't afford. Um, you know, so I think that people really like it. They like the styling of it. They like, people still love loud cars. Young people still love loud cars. Um, so, I mean, we have, there is a, there's a, somebody at MPT has at our, at our PBS station, who's around my age, he has a, a orange one. I think it's a, I think it's a GT, but he's I think a former it's a intern, GT. former Motor Week intern. Yeah. Yes, yes. So he has one. So I mean, it ends up just being, you know, they can't afford, you know, something like this. But you know, the Mustang is still alive and well, and many, many yeah. young people still love them. Yeah, looks like a really cool car. And again, we can't wait to get behind the wheel of. It. I like that pinstripe. Actually, I'm not a pinstripe person truthfully i think sometimes they look a little cheesy a little corny mm. but i i, I actually kind of like the uh the pinstripe options that they have throwback mm -hmm. all right let's move on to our lightning round um we've in the old days we used to say we got 30 seconds but let's just get uh, everybody's opinion about this tesla's really been in the news in the last two weeks uh they're talking about putting their cyber truck factory in Texas. But even before that, they made uh, hit a milestone that a lot of us thought would be more years coming. They're the first to, to reach uh, this EV milestone. The Tesla Model S Long Range Plus has an official EPA rating of 402 miles between charges. It was only four years ago when Tesla broke the 300 mile mark how long do you think before we're going to be talking about 500 miles on the Tesla or anybody else? I'm going to say two years. I'll say two years will be that, there. That actually that makes a lot of sense. There is a engineering theorem that basically says every time there's a new and a, a major milestone or innovation, the next one happens twice as fast. So right. That's, that's right on that. 
I'm willing to bet it's not Tesla doing the next one either. Well, that's interesting. Who do you think it might be? I, I'm not, I can't put a name to it, but I, I think it could be coming on strong in battery I, research. I think it could be GM, battery. GM with that new battery they have. So I agree, John. Power. I was going to say GM. Yeah. I yeah. think they're going to shock some people with their technology because they've invested heavily sort of behind the scenes. They're not super loud about it, but yeah. they, uh, they're investing heavily, and I think they're, they're working on something good. So, so here's the question for all of us, and I'll ask it and hush up. At what point, what mileage number, do we now say they are equivalent to an internal combustion engine? Or do we? I think 400's it. Yeah, How I would. How many cars go more than 400 miles on a tank of gas? I, I think it actually is 500. I think 400, I think 400 like would put it technically equal, but I think you have to add some room there to Charging separate time. itself some cushion, so I'd say 500. Okay. What was that, Dave? I think it's funny how the, the horsepower awards have kind of mimic mirrored this. There's, you know, 300 horsepower was something back yeah. 10 years ago. Now Camrys have it, and 500 horsepower is the new 200. <laughs> yeah, no, the, com the comments on our retro reviews are funny <laughs> about that. That's, that's funny, Dave. 145 horsepower Corvettes. Um, no, I think um, figuring in charging time is also being reduced. 450, 500 miles would be a great range to normalize that. Yeah. Going beyond that, I don't know if the cost value equation adds up to the. Going well, cost is still a barrier. Yeah. Yeah, it's not uh, as we as we found out that it's not always cheap to use those DC fast oh. chargers. I mean, yeah. it's it's more than what you'd pay at the pump in more time. Yes. Right. And that 20 minute charge is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they're diff they, they're difficult. I mean, when we were at Roebling uh, in uh, January, uh, I had the Porsche and every time I took it to that fast charger that was sitting very conveniently at the nearby Walmart, it, you know, it was a, you had to call in because nothing worked properly. It wouldn't take your credit card and the 30 minutes or so that you thought you'd be there to get an 85% charge was an hour, an hour 20. And I can't, that's still my problem is that they've got to do better on the infrastructure. Uh, so the, in some ways the cart's before the horse, but still we're, they're making the, uh, they're making those of us that didn't think they could get that range this fast uh believers now because technology is accelerating again i, I want to turn to you jessica and i don't want to embarrass you because of your younger age but how do folks in your generation regardless of price not talking about price how are you looking at evs do you think when you are able to afford them and have families and have a need is that going to be your go-to uh, based on what you're saying? I think so. Um, I think a lot of people are worried about the environment, of course. Um, and I mean, I've definitely thought about it, you know, my next car, I would be really interested in getting a plug-in hybrid. I think yeah, work really well for, I mean, my commute is less than, I think it's, I think it's like 15 miles. So 
um, for me, like that works perfectly. Um, and of course, like <laughs> the younger generation is obsessed with Tesla. So um, they, they think it's like the greatest thing in the world. Everyone wants a Tesla. Um, so I think if, you know, it, car manufacturers, once they start kind of getting in line a lot with the range that Tesla can give, um, I, I think that you will definitely see a lot more young people interested in buying them. Plus, you know, well, the one thing is it's definitely out of the price range um, for a lot of young people um, because it's, it, it's hard to find something that is in the low 20s, something that's new mm -hmm. that's in the low 20s, um, which is, I think, where the Prius does really well mm -hmm. um, because it is affordable. And, um, but I do think young people, it, it will be something that they are looking for, you know, as we move forward gas is going to go it, we've already seen it it's going back up it's just going to get more expensive i mean i think i pay i think the cheapest i ever paid for gas was 170 something and that's the cheapest i've ever paid for gas in my whole life so uh, you know since i haven't been driving for decades um so gas is just going to get more expensive we're going to see that so people are going to try and you know find vehicles that you know, you don't have this huge extra cost of $200, $300 a month in gas, you know. So hybrids, plug-in uh, electric cars are going to be, I think, very successful with that. I, I agree with that. I mean, I think even for geriatrics like me, if you please, uh, plug-in hybrids particularly have a lot of appeal. I was looking at replacing uh, my uh, Mini Cooper, which is a 2002 with the uh, Mini SE, but I am a little hesitant because if it's only uh, has a hundred mile range or so, but I don't know. It's, we don't drive it that very far anyway. It's very appealing. And most experts agree, and I think I do too, that the majority of charging is still going to be at home. So. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think as, I mean, I've seen, you've, it's, been seen in a lot of places but you know people who work and they park in parking garages soon I, half of the parking garage is going to be charging stations you know it's only a matter of time before basically every time you know you you leave the house you unplug you drive to work you park you plug back in and you almost have a full charge all the time once the infrastructure is there you know it it'll almost you know be you, you won't even be really thinking about it so okay let's move on to our viewer question from michael um not sure where michael is but he's having trouble finding a good answer to this so many manufacturers offer various size tires and wheels on some models are there any advantages or disadvantages when selecting a larger tire and wheel dave would you like to start off that discussion Sure, I guess there is a, a difference in uh, ride and handling characteristics. Um, your larger wheel and tire will have a thinner sidewall and will give a stiffer ride, better cornering, better handling, because there's less flex in the tire. Um, but you will sometimes sacrifice ride quality for that, perhaps comfort. Um, performance tire might be noisier. So there's trade-offs and, and things you got to consider for every tire you look at. 
manufacturers try and do a middle of the road tire to please all people. Um, you might not like the way it handles or, or sounds. So shopping for tires can be a way to personalize your car as well. Yeah, it's um, like the look of the, of the bigger wheel and smaller tire, the way that it fills up the wheel well better than a, than a smaller wheel tire package. So it's personal preference a lot, but there, there is significant uh, handling differences between tire sizes as well. Yeah, it depends on the manufacturer. Um, a lot of the times for, you know, your Toyotas, Subarus, Nissans, uh, wheel size is mostly for looks. Like you said, Dave, how it fills up the wheel well. Um, it, they might tout that it's better performance and they're right up to a certain point when you eventually get, you know, it doesn't just keep going up and up as you get larger and wider wheels. Uh, there is a drop off point. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I would say for your average manufacturer, it's style. But when you get into the BMWs, Audis or like Ford performance cars, then it's like, okay, well, there's a, there's a significant performance boost when you upgrade to the even staggered like 21 inch wheels in the back and you know 19s or 20s on the front jessica you drive just as many cars as the rest of us do you have any uh, impressions on given the i mean our roads in maryland are not horrible they're not the best but they're not they many states have worse i mean um <laughs> I don't know too much about tires because I've I think I've only bought tires once um, for 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 my car, uh, but I think you know it's I, I'm definitely a middle of the line sort of person. So especially you know I think in our climate where it's hot and it also gets cold and it is wet and it is snowy. And the last thing I want to be driving on is bad tires in really any of those conditions. Um, that brings up a really good point because a lot of the 20 inch tires are summer performance tires. There are obviously some that are winter tires and, and all, all around tires, but a lot, if you look, go to, tire rack or whoever and you look up 20 inch tires you see an awful lot of summer performance tires which means they're not very good when it turns wet or icy i have a friend who's in lives in detroit and she's got an audi ttrs with 20 inch tires and she and of course the roads there have are some of the worst in in the country uh she has flat tires twice a year, you know, and it's the roads, it's the summer performance tires that are on the car. Uh, she doesn't drive it much in winter, which is a good thing. But, you know, when you start getting these very thin sidewalls, I can't prove it, but it seems to me I hear people having flats and tire issues more frequently with them than they seem to do with uh, smaller wheels. I can't prove that, but it's certainly, uh, so I'm, I'm not sure, Michael, you, if you want to go up in tire size and wheel size, uh, be thinking about the fact that the manufacturers design the suspension to work with the sized wheels that come on the car. Uh, that's the best compromise. Number two, you're going to be, as Dave mentioned and Greg both, you're sacrificing, uh, ride quality with the, uh, uh, very thin sidewalls. So be very, very careful what you wish for. You may not be happy. 
All right, that wraps up our Motor Week podcast for today. I want to thank everybody for participating, Dave, Greg, and Jessica. And Greg, thank you also for being our podcast producer. Jim Bigwood back at MPT Studios. Make sure that everything sounds great when it goes up on the web. And our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, who we owe 232 of these masterpieces to. Thank you very much, Bob. For everybody else out there, please make sure that you uh, watch Motor Week. We're now back in full production. You can catch us on uh, public TV stations around the country, our Motor Trend cable partner. Uh, if you miss a show, go on to our youtube.com slash motorweek site for all of the latest road tests and a lot of specialized content you won't see anywhere else. Uh, we also, of course, don't forget our website itself, motorweek.org. And I can't, I can't even get them all in. We have PBS Living that we're on. We're also at pbs.org slash motorweek for full episodes. If you've got a screen or a way to see or listening, you can find Motorweek, and we hope you'll continue to do that. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for all of you out there. Thanks very much for being a part of Motorweek. You've been listening to the podcast of Motorweek, television's original automotive magazine. Motorweek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motorweek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.